Yes, we are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It's called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toladano. John Wall doesn't need no introduction. It's an insider's look at the NBA and culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick of the 2010 NBA Draft, John Wall, will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to podcasts. There's a new way to bet on things outside of sports with Kalshi. Maybe you thought uh, on the future of TikTok. Will Congress ban it? Or won't they? Will Taylor Swift's album win album of the year? Will Biden's approval rating go up? Will it go down? Or inflation? You can trade futures on all of that and make money if you're correct. You're smart. You know things. Bet on it. $20 bonus if you go to Kalshi.com slash stereo. Spelled K-A-L-S-H-I and deposit $50. Kalshi.com slash stereo. Get in the game. There is no guarantee of performance. An investor could lose their entire investment. Investment fees. iHeartMedia does not recommend any investments. See further disclosures at Kalshi.com. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. The I Am Rappaport podcast is sponsored by Casper Mattresses. Casper.com. It's an award-winning sleep startup. Go to Casper.com, $50 off purchase of any size mattress. Put in the code Rappaport, R-A-P-A-P-O-R-T, Casper Mattress in New York City. You could keep the bed for 100 nights. You could get your freak on for 100 nights. If you do not like the bed after 100 nights, you can return the mattress within 100 days. That's a guarantee. Casper.com. The promo code is Rappaport. You get $50 off the mattress. We do not plug. We do not support. We do not take sponsorship from anything we have not tried and we are not passionate about 450%. This is the I Am Rapport podcast, which is, I'm here with Brett Morgan, who's a director who doesn't know about the worldwide phenomenon that is the I Am Rapport podcast. And that's all right. That's fine. I am fucking happy to be here. And let me just give a quick intro. So Brett Morgan is, I, 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 I know you don't like me saying this, but I, I said it when you weren't here and I'll say it to your face, is a fucking, a master. Now you, you I have to say with, with the five films that I've seen, a master documentarian. 
And, and people probably most know him for The Kid Stays in the Picture, which was a game changer. And then On the Ropes, which was before that. And then was it June 17th? Which, yeah, June 17th. June 17th, which is the 30 for 30 about the O.J. Simpson chase, which if you haven't seen it, it's on iTunes. It's on fucking... You could get it anywhere, okay? You could get it on uh, Netflix. It's, it's the O.J. chase, and it's all... We call it B-roll or found footage. There's no talking heads except for... It's, it's, it's a masterpiece. And then Crossfire Hurricane, and then most recently, the montage of Heck, the Kurt Cobain documentary. And, and me being a fan of documentaries, I mean, just those five films that I, that I just named, I think I named five, they're so eclectic and so different and so impressive. And so the kid stays in the picture... You, changed all the shit just with the the visuals the the animation or it, just the way it was told like you fucked my head up with that i saw that i think at the arc light i was gonna come talk to you because i met you um when uh, after the tribe movie i think you said something nice to me and i was like fuck brett morgan and i had just seen crossfire hurricane or yeah. whatever which really fucked my head up which to me is it's there doesn't need to be another rolling stones documentary like that to me is one of the that that shuts down all the other ones. I mean, unless something bad happens, I don't really know what you can do with the Rolling Stones anymore. They've been documented so much, and Crossfire Hurricane is a, is just is a fucking feat. Thanks. When you when you approached Crossfire Hurricane, did you know that you were going to do it? The film is told with no talking heads. Like yeah. you interviewed the Rolling Stones, yeah. but you never see them. You never see what they're saying. You hear them. Yeah. Did you know when you were doing it that that was how you, like, what inspired you to do that? Because to me, that uh, was fucking ballsy. Oh, well, because all my movies up, up to now take place in the past, but I, right. try to, I try to present them in the present tense. Right. So that they unfold, so that you experience them like fiction, like as they're unfolding before your eyes. And when you're dealing with subjects like the Stones or Bob Evans, um, and you're you're meeting them at the point that they're seventy, they're no longer threatening. The the point, and these are very seductive. These are people who, who part of their appeal from the beginning was their image, right? And so, in order for the audience to immerse themselves in the experience of these subjects, you need to experience them in their prime, right? Not as old men looking back on their lives, right? And the thing with talking heads um, is that I, I arrived pretty quickly at this idea that what, to me, a, a frame is, is, a, is a world of endless possibilities. When right? you say a frame, what a frame, mean? a frame of film. Right. Right. There is a world of endless possibilities. And I'm always thinking, are we exploiting in this, in this moment? Taking this one advantage frame, of. Are we taking advantage of the breadth and width of what cinema has to offer to us? We're not writing a book. If we were writing a book, an interview is fine. Right. But it's a movie. So in a movie, I could take that audio, and unless there's something that's being communicated to me through how the interview is being shot, I don't need to see it. Mm -hmm. So I have the audio. Now I could put a picture on it, and the, the combination of the audio plus the image create the meaning. So you're, you're, you're doubling up. You're, you're allowed to... Be, and look, there's sometimes where seeing like a movie like The Look of Silence, which right. I just saw, which is the sequel to The Act of Killing. Obviously, that's about seeing their oh, faces. Oh, I didn't see that. Oh, it's, it's all about 
the face and you, you can never cut away. You can never have a, a cutaway shot. So, so I just, so, so it started with the kids in the picture where I didn't want Bob on camera because I didn't want it to be about a 70 year old man looking back on his life. Right. I wanted the audience to experience things viscerally. Right. And to experience the power of seduction of Bob's image. Right. And what became very clear is we could double up on, on DNA, on info. And, um, and so you look at it this way. If you have a documentary and you have an interview and they're talking about something, okay, so you're getting the text. Now, what am I, what, why else am I looking at this? Right. And one of the things in like montage, even the, the interviews were, um, I don't know if you noticed, but they all went day to night. I didn't notice each, that. Each line was lit and shot differently uh-huh. based upon the content. There's a movie called Lenny. Yes. One of my favorite. That's one of my favorite movies. A masterpiece. And when you talk about masterpieces, gets forgotten about a lot of times. Bob Fosse, talk about being a motherfucker. The man. He's a motherfucker. Fosse is someone who I feel like... Like, in, I, I was just talking to my high school film teacher last night about this. My evolution as a filmmaker probably went from when I was a teenager, um, Truffaut and Godard, and then when I was in my early 20s, John Ford, mm-hmm. and then in my 30s, Bob Fosse. <sighs> that was, like, my sort of, as I came to, like, at these different... And Fosse, so Lenny is something I always go to for inspiration. I don't know if you remember this, Michael, but in Lenny, it, it's not a documentary, but there's these faux documentary interviews. Yeah. Very think, inspiring. Think to montage because I literally, I was on set with the frame grabs of uh, Lenny uh, for my compositions. For the, in the, in the. For the um, interviews with the Kurtz family. Right. And then in Lenny, you go to, it's the. Oh, it's, I it's see it right final. now. The it's side pro, shots. The side shots, the profile shots, and you cross the axis when yeah. you come to the front low, low angle. And there's only three interview subjects. It's the mom, the wife, and the business manager. Montage of Hack. It's right. only the primal relationships. Right. And then in Lenny, you get this vibe. It's lit. It's fiction film, so it feels like you're going day to night. Yeah. So in Montage, I wanted the audience to have that feeling that we're sitting with these people and it's going over the course of day to night. Uh-huh. And part of that was, okay, since I am going to do Talking Heads, we're going to make sure that each time they're talking, it's lit to embellish them. So we're communicating something. Yep. Through the lighting, through the... None of those were shot in people's homes. Those were all... They were shot in homes, but not the homes of the people. Oh, it was like a set. I got a set. For, like, Chris Novoselic, that's a set. Or for Kurt's girlfriend, that's a oh, set. Oh, that's not his house? Yeah. No. So, so it was... Once again, because I, as a director doing archival-based films, you have a very limited palette in, in, in regards to how you could communicate to the audience. Right. So you have... On a, if you're using archival, you have color grading, montage, and sound design. Right. That's it. And if you're integrating talking head interviews, now you have another element. Right. And so the question becomes, how am I, how am I directing that element? How am I, you know what I'm saying? Yes. And, and so, and you and I both know, as, because you've made documentary films, that in general, what you have to do in a documentary, just by the nature of the beast, is set the camera down and talk to someone for three hours. Right. And you're not changing the lighting or the, because you don't know where it's going to go in the film. Right. But we did the interviews after we knew where they were going to get cut in montage. So when you did the interviews... I'd already cut the film for the most you part. You had already cut the visuals. Yeah, I cut the visuals first. That way the film would never be reliant on talking heads. Because to me... So, so you knew... 
So, so, so the answer, so you went, so when you did Robert Evans, when you did Kid Stays in the Picture, did you shoot his, inter- you did no, it? No, 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 we need Bob. That to me is like fucking, to me, that is, that is fucking ballsy as a motherfucker mm. because, <laughs> you know, what if, what if, I mean, you knew there was a, a, a plethora of archival stuff and you had the, the there were photographs, there were photographs, but you made those motherfuckers come to life. We had to because there was no film footage. Right. Okay. But I mean, those mother like the movie was like singing because of it. And I remember sitting in the theater. Now it's been done, you know, and, and, and you, people have seen it. But I remember when I was watching Kids Days in the Picture, I was like, not in a bad way. I was like, what the fuck is going on here? Because the, the, the animation... Or, you know, the, the, the way you were fucking around with the photos, it was like, it was like a whole other world that was happening, you know, and it's, yeah. and it's been done. I, what year, how many years ago was that? That was 2000. It came out in 2002. So we were doing the effects in 2001. Okay. So it's a while, but I mean, that was a, I mean, that was a game changer as far as what it was, was it was the, I think the moment when documentaries went from analog to digital. Right. That was the, I think, because we could talk about the technology, which was After Effects. And mm-hmm. we're still using After I did the journal photography through After Effects in Montage Effect. But you did, but... but you, so we used the same technology we, for different purposes, right? We made it look like it's handheld Super 8 footage or whatever. Um, but with, with up before Kids Days in Picture, when people were dealing with ephemera, which is any two-dimensional, you know, photograph or, or journals or writings or anything, they would shoot it on an animation stand with a mounted, fixed-mounted camera that could zoom and it could make up and down moves, but that was it. Right. And it was always lit. Yeah, you could fuck tweak the lighting, but it was generally one-to-one lighting. Well, what happened with the kid is we brought all of the, we scanned all the ephemera. Right. So now everything was digital. Right. And now we can manipulate the fuck out of it. Right. And that had never been done before in nonfiction. It was the, the first, I think it was one of the first movies ever to finish entirely in HD on the East Coast. Oh, okay. And so, so that changed, that was the game changer for nonfiction in the sense that once everything got digital, now filmmakers had access to visual effects. Right. And at the same time, reality television was taking off. Right. And so verite became more of a muted art form. Right. And that, I think, is why the genre is so sort of um, adventurous now. The doc genre. Doc genre, because doing straight docs feels like reality television, unless Uh, there's something amazing. Yep. And Unless the story is just that compelling. Yeah, and now we have digital technology where we can do animation and motion graphics and you know some great effects works mm-hmm. to create material yep. to help bring these stories to life. Okay, well, I, you know that's like you know like doing a high wire act with no net, not filming the fucking interviews, and so I just I just am very impressed by that. And then, and then when with the Stones one with Crossfire Hurricane. You knew, obviously, they had been documented tons. Yeah. There's videos, there's fucking movies, there's pictures. I mean, it's the Rolling Stones. They, they are really thoroughly documented. When you went into that, you, you knew you're not going to shoot the interviews. Yeah. So what were the parameters of... Here, here's my, my question. You yeah. can answer the question within the question. What were, like, when you shot them, did you... Were they say... Did the Stones say... Okay, you could shoot us for an hour. You could shoot us for three hours. Did you do pickups? And then how much of the footage that you used in the film, all the B-roll from all the other films, all the great films, uh, particularly Gimme Shelter, like there's outtakes from Gimme Shelter, or I don't know if it's outtakes or stuff that just wasn't used. Because, I mean, 
they don't look any sexier than in Gimme Shelter. They're like, I don't know, they're strung out of their fucking mind, but they look fucking cool as <laughs> shit. So when you go into go into Crossfire Hurricane, like, what are the, what do you know you can use? And like, do you have everything laid out? Like, do you know, like, you have run of the playground, or or the, like, do you know, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, because I, for me, I always I w- assume I have run of the playground. You always assume that. I always assume that somehow we're gonna when, when I'm cutting, I don't worry about um, getting the rights. I don't worry about rights, and I've and honestly, Michael, this is gonna sound terrible, but um, <clears throat> in all the years I've been doing this, I haven't been to. There's never been a song I wanted to use that we weren't able to figure out how to negotiate it. And there's never been an image that the once one time on the kid stays in the picture we need a Bud Quartz um, release and he wouldn't give it to us. Really? He uh, this I think will be the first time I ever. Bud Quartz is the is the kid from Harold Bud, and Maude. Bud Quartz Harold from Harold and Maude. And so I don't know if people know this, but um, when you do when you use a clip from a Hollywood film, yes, you have to get because of SAG, you have to get the actor's consent. And the rights to, like, the studio. Yeah, you have, so you have to license the film from the studio. Which you got. Yeah. Then you have to make a payment to SAG for the actor. And you need, for films post-1970, you need the actor's consent. So if someone wants to use a clip of a movie you're in... No one wants to use a clip in a movie. <laughs> but just say philosophically, if, if, they, if they wanted if they to use did, a clip from Zebrahead... If they wanted to use a clip from Zebrahead, they would go to the studio, they would license it through the studio, but then they would have to get your... Uh, they would have to pay you a SAG day rate. Oh, shit. For the clip. For the clip. I didn't know that. And get your consent. Right. So on the kids' days in the picture, you know, Bob talks shit about everyone in his book. Right. And there was this huge concern that how in the world are we ever going to get people to sign these consent forms? Right. Well, Graydon Carter, the editor of Vanity Fair, is the producer of that film. If there is anybody in Hollywood, or not in Hollywood, who can get people to sign the release forms, it's Graydon Carter. Okay. All right? So... With Graydon on board, we get everybody to sign. It's a miracle. It's right. a fucking miracle. Like, people, Bob talks endless shit about in his book, Ryan O'Neill, whatever. He, they're signing up. Right. The only one who wouldn't sign was Bud Court. We had a one-second shot from Harold and Maude. Right. Bud wanted Bob to go pitch Harold and Maude 2 to Sherry Lansing, who was president of Paramount at the time, in which Bud would be the um, older character with a young girl. Uh-huh, with a new character. With a young woman, yeah, which obviously the story doesn't work. Right. <laughs> that, that, that story doesn't work right. as well with a young girl and an older man. And Harold and Maude, too, it just doesn't <laughs> sound good. Like, as a marketing thing, it doesn't and, sound good. And Bob was like, uh, never, right. never. And, and so that was the only, but anyway, short of that, so going back to the thing about the Stones. Wait, so Bud Court was like, fuck. But so Bud Court was the only actor out of 256 who refused to sign their consent form. And, 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 that, and he's the only person and the only... The only time in my career you that I was, do th- it. I was thwarted. Have you heard from Bud Court since then? <laughs> maybe, maybe Bud will call us now. Um, if, uh, so with the Stones... We should know- pitch Harold and Maude 2 to him, <laughs> but say we're going to recast it with somebody else, and would he be down for that? Like, we just want to make sure that you, we have your blessing. <laughs> Uh, so, so with the stones. So, so stones. I didn't want cameras in the room when we. They didn't tell me I didn't. I couldn't use cameras. I just felt that the. Um, a. I didn't want to make a film about them looking back on their youth. Right. So I. I a. I didn't want to do it. B. I knew that the interviews would be um, a lot better if there weren't cameras around. Um, C, just because you thought they'd be more candid. Yeah, they'd be more candid. Be conversational. Um, and economically, you know, if I, it would afford me the opportunity to do, if I need to do, you know, eight hours instead of, you know, if I want to do four days instead of one, right. 
I'd have that freedom. So all and you, the, wouldn't have, you wouldn't need to hire a cameraman. You'll just do right. it. So I did all the interviews, you know, by myself like this. Just I bring the sound gear. Just in. really kind of simple like this. I, I mean, much simpler than your. Even smaller 80. mics than this fucking so they, mic. They weren't on Keith's lap. Fuck. So, okay. <laughs> so. I got 20 pounds of lead on my crotch right, right now. now. Right now. But it's 20. a normal conversation. Well, like, we both do, which is actually That's kind fine. Of yeah, that's good. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, so, um, so what happened was I think Mick was my first interview, and they thought that I was going to do maybe like I think they thought maybe we could do Mick in two or three sessions. Mm-hmm. Well, the first session we got through one year. Oh shit! And it, the session lasted like two and a half hours, and, and we you just got through. We the- didn't get past sixty-two, and it was clear at that point that there was no, that we were going to need. Uh, you know, Mick, I think ended up being is possibly fifteen different sessions. And how many hours was was this at the end? There was no limit, so no, I would say the typical. Much- oh, I did about eighty-five hours of interviews with the band, so they were the most extensive interviews oh ever god. done with the Rolling Stones. Oh my god, Keith. Here's Keith. I remember very vividly. Keith, they thought we were going to do all of Keith in um, a day or two. And that Keith would do no, the max Keith. His, Jane, his manager, said the max Keith can talk is an hour and a half. Right. You, you will never get. She goes, I'll be back here in an hour. Let's plan on an hour. Right. The first day, Keith and I went three and a half hours. And, um, and they would pop their heads in and he would tell them to disappear. And we ended up doing, Keith and I did four days at the Bowery Hotel and it was fucking great. I smoked at the time. Cigarettes. And, yeah, and we both smoked Marlboros. Oh, God. And so um, I remember he comes in and he puts his cigarettes down. And I put my cigarettes down. And I said, so how much time you got, Keith? And he goes, something like, well, when the cigarettes run out, we'll know it's time to go. And so the next day he showed up and I had a carton. Uh-huh. <laughs> he was ready to go. <laughs> I had a carton on the table. I was like, I'm ready, Keith. Right. But he was, fu- I mean, and the thing was, it was Keith and me in a room by ourselves with the shades drawn, smoking cigarettes. And, and he was having, um, I think, uh, vodka and sun kiss or something. That's a shocker. And he drinks? Yeah. <laughs> but, but actually, he, the first two days we did, he was drinking. And then he, when he, he was straight. For the second session, set of sessions we did, which was interesting, because um, the first ones I thought were a little more fluid, and um, yeah, and it was just like there was not, especially with Keith, there was no question off limits. You could just ask him. What What are you gonna What are you gonna ask Keith Richards? That's right. like there's no skeletons in the closet, right. you know. Um, was, Mick, with with what, Mick, did you say? Did you get? Don't ask about this. Don't no, ask about Mick that. Because Mick had final cut, uh, so he knew. Just the, Mick. Well, okay, so the way it works in the band with film productions, per se, you know, Mick spearheaded the film. It was his film. It was his project. Mm-hmm. So Meaning the, what? The other, he reached out to you? He reached out to me. He hired me. Off of Kids Stays in the Picture? Off or? of Kids Stays in the Picture, yeah. And he was like, we want to do this. He called me up um, and said, uh, we want to make a film. It's going to be our 50th anniversary next year. We want to make a movie. I don't want to do a miniseries. I just want to make a film, and I want it to feel like a movie. I don't want it to feel like, you know, um, a talking head, you know, run through by the numbers. He said that. Yeah. That's cool. In fact, what he did say, I remember, on that first call was... He's like, I think it should. I'm not going to do my mic. No, he do said, your mic no, no, just I, one I, time. I, I can't out of context. All right, but, fine. He, but he goes, he said, um, but I will say this. He's the only person who ever pronounced my name with five T's at the end. Brett. 
No, Brett. Ah. Well, Brett. That like, it was be... cutting. Right. Very cutting. Right. Because it's, you know, hey, Brett, how's it going? You know, like, hey, Keith, he's not even using a team. Right. It's like, it's like your name's Brett. Yeah, it's like, hey, Brett, how's it going? But the Mick is like, well, I, I, I don't know, Brett. Anyway. Um, and you feel like you're 11 every time he says it. Yeah, sort of. He, uh, he, so knowing that he had, at the end of the day, was going to, it's not like he's sitting in the edit room with me, but he knows he can take something out if he doesn't want it. Right. Then nothing's off limits, right? And in a way, you get more. I mean, this is—it's a freedom because he'll, and then you could be like, "I got you." I, w- I ended up getting so much more than I would have ever got if we didn't have that arrangement. I got you. Because th- there were subjects that he would have just shot down. He didn't. He wouldn't want to talk. Just about. shot down. So, especially if you were on camera too, right? So I, 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 I figured with Mick, we ended up pretty much going about a, a, a session a year. We would do, we would do, and the sessions would go probably uh, minimum two and two to three and a half hours. Fuck. So when you're tackling that, and there was not nothing. There was no. You can't kick me out because you hired me to make this movie. I'm right. not going anywhere, and we we only had four months to make the fucking movie. Whoa. So hold the fuck on, man. Wait, wait, hold on. You had. You didn't make that movie in four months. We from the moment I finished screening the footage, I had four months to deliver. That's fucking crazy. If, if, it I was mean, crazy. That's it was crazy. crazy. It was crazy. It was madness. Yeah. Okay, I, I, I'm sorry. I, I, I got to, because there's, the, all right, I want to stay, fo- and I know I can't keep asking every fucking question I want to ask you, but when, when you go this into. This is going to be your least listened to n- podcast. No, 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 in no. In history. No. And I'm not saying that be self-deprecating. No. I'm just, I'm just being honest with you, Michael. No, no, no. I, Trust I, me. I, I don't know how many people normally this listen to your podcast. This is film school shit. Okay. This is all film right. school shit. This is this is. Call good me sh- when you pass a hundred. <laughs> when a hundred people have listened to the Brett Morgan I Am Rapport podcast, Brett Morgan, we will, will send you. We will come to your house and cook you dinner. Yeah. So so, but when Michael you, will act in your student film. Yeah, I'll just do it. When when you go into like, do you have like an encyclopedia of fucking questions? I mean, there's no. so much time and so much like just the songs. Like if you just just forget the band and direction and all the fucking. The, the, the hoopla, like, like are you, do you walk in there with books and books of questions? Are you reading off of books? Are you referring to notes? Okay, so what I do is my process is at the um, start of a production, before I've collected footage, I'll read everything there is on a subject. Right. Once I've started, I will never look at those books again. Okay. They're just so I have some context to looking at the footage. Right. So I'll know what things are. Right. Um, Are you a note taker? When I'm reading, I highlight and I write themes at the top of a page. Okay. So like if I'm reading for research, I'll highlight a particular passage and at the top I'll put like a theme. Right. Like Like what? For the Stones one? Like what would be, what were some of the main themes for the Stones? Well, the, 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 the main themes in the finish, the film ended up being about role playing, right. you know, about um, how when they started, they were pretending to be the bad guys, then they became the bad guys, and then that role almost devoured them right. and destroyed them. So it became a very singular through line of action. Right. Um, so I, I go through all that shit, and then when I'm screening, I, I'm... Sometimes I've had the story figured out a little bit before I screen. Oftentimes I have to, like with Cobain, I had to go through everything before I knew what the story was. Right. I, um, but by the time I finish screening through everything, I have the story. Right. 
and I, and like within a day and my process to be, if you want to know what it literally, what happens is I take a lot of notes during the screening, but I don't, I refuse to get anything close to working on a script until I've completed the screening process. So what happens screening is screening of the B-roll and the of archival all the footage, all, everything, all the materials I'm going to have to make the film. Right. The the second, the moment that ends, so it ends on let's say a Tuesday at six thirty, we've run out of material. Right. I'll say to the editor, all right, why don't you go and pull selects from Unplugged? Right. I'm going to go work on the script. I'll see you in a few days. And then on every movie I've done up to now, the main script is done in about four hours the first day I go to write because I've been holding all the shit in. But when you say script, so you'll actually kind of script it's, out it's like... It's an outline. It's an, an outline. outline. Yeah. That's pretty... Specific. Like, the outline for montage is montage. Right. Because you, you kind of knew... You knew I what... Knew you, what the, the film, I knew what the three-line of action was. Once you know the three-line of action, that then dictates why you're not asking them a million fucking questions off mm. subject. Right? Because at that point... What's interesting to me when I'm doing an interview with the Stones, 80% of what I'm asking them probably they've never been asked because it's going to be specific to this weird tangent that I'm like honing in on. Right. You know what I mean? Or the same thing with montage. Like, I bet you Chris Novoselic has probably never been asked that question about shame as it relates to Kurt. Right. You know, when I, I went, because I said to him, you know, Kurt seemed to be super sensitive to criticism. And I think the reason Chris probably has never been asked that is most of the time Chris is doing an interview, people are going to interview him about his experiences, Chris's experiences as a member of Nirvana. Right. Not the way someone else experienced it. Right. And that was also something when I sat down with Chris before the interview, I said, listen, every question I'm going to ask you today is going to be about Kurt. Right. I don't want to feel weird about it. Because this isn't a Nirvana documentary. Right. Like if I went to interview you about something. Again, no one gives a fuck about me interviewing. But I went to interview with some actor you, let's say, did a couple movies with. Right. And, you know, you may feel like a little slighted. Like, you know, Brett's spending three hours talking to me about. Like, why do you you keep asking me about Robert De Niro, Brett? Like, why aren't you talking about my experience? Exactly. And why aren't you asking Robert De Niro about what it's like to work with Michael Rappaport? (laughs) (laughs) So, so, um. Anyway, uh, so so when I met with Chris, I I said, listen, it's going to be a different type of interview, and and so then, but you could see when I asked him that question, his response, I don't think he'd ever been asked that before. That's a very yeah, that's a uh, it's it's a poignant part, and and so so like with the Stones, you know, a lot of what I was doing was you know the interviews were I knew what the arc of the film was going to be at that point. Okay. I mean, there were still moments of discovery, of course, right. and being open to going down different paths you didn't expect to find. Um, but, you, you know, that's, you, 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 you sort of have to have some, some thing. I mean, look, the thing, truth be told, there were certainly uh, moments when, where I was just asking, you know, I knew something wasn't going into the film, and I would ask. I, a lot of times I had to do with the, with the Stones archives where I would ask them for a track that I knew I had no interest in using for the film, but I wanted to hear the workups. Uh-huh. I mean, I, I'll be honest, like, towards the end. Because you're a fan. I'm a fan, yeah. And then towards the end, I knew, like, I would never have this opportunity again. So right. I would call them up and be like... So I need to do. I I'm, I made want to do a, a sequence around the song "Melody" from Hot from um, Black and Blue. Uh huh. Do you have any workups to it? And they would send me these files of three hours in the studio, never before heard. That they would go bake. They'd Fuck. have to digitize this stuff because it only exists on quarter inch. So you heard all kind of shit. All kinds of shit. Any, I'd access to every recording they'd ever done. And 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 a lot of it didn't even make it into. 
Oh, not none of them. I mean, we, we, we had 500 hours of audio of, of the Stones. And the thing is, a lot of it, a lot of it hadn't been digitized. Right. So, because their, 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 their vault, their archive is every fucking quarter inch reel to reel tape, right? Or whatever you call that stuff. And it's like, fuck, you, like literally, dude, you go down and there's just aisles and aisles and aisles and you pull something out and you go, oh, I wonder what this is. And you pull it out and it says, uh, June 1970, brown sugar, da da da. And you're like, no fucking way. And you got this to is, listen to it just as a fan. Is, dude, but even more than listening to brown sugar, the mass recording, I'm listening to the, the recording right, sessions. Right. And the fuck ups. And not the stuff you get when you buy the Sticky Fingers remastered deluxe outtakes. Why don't they put that shit out, though? Like, will they ever? They did, they did, they did, they did, they, did, like, and they started doing that a couple years ago. But not, the, I'm talking about, like, the more, like, for the, fa- like, I'm, I'm a Stones fan, and, and, and I'm not even, like, a hardcore, hardcore Stones fan, but I'm a pretty, like, I would fucking die to hear all that. Like, the, the riffs, and, like, there's one because part in the- they're artists, right? So, for them, it's imperfect. Ugh. <sighs> You know what I mean, Michael? They have to appreciate that. Dude, if I said to you, I want to put out your first cut of Tribe Called Quest, like like I'm a hardcore Tribe Called Quest fan, and you're like, you're talking to me, and you're like, yeah, man, I had a five-hour assembly, you know, before we made the movie, and I'm like, dude, I want to put that out, and you're like, "Uh, no. Right. Nobody's seeing that shit. Right, I got you. I got you. You know what I mean? I understand, but I'm... I know, I'm with you, though, as a fan. I could listen to the... And I did. I had the opportunity of listening to, let's say... The sessions when they recorded, um, 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 fuck, I love the song so much. I can't believe I'm spacing the title, dude. When, when he, and it's in, in the Brian Jones when he died. Um, oh, no excuses. Right. Um, no excuse. Because um, you, um, have the, you have it we come have an to outtake. life. In the, we use an outtake of that where Mick cool. changes the fucking lyrics yeah. on the song. Because he says in, the, in that take, he goes, um, never in my sweet short life have I felt so sad before. And I think in the... In the recorded version, uh, have I been so whatever it is? It's, but I that's use a goosebump moment in in that film. It is so because he's talking about him, and then you like you. It's really it's it's powerful. But like that's the type of shit where it's like, well, I, you know, I mean, that's up to them, I guess. And there's so much like, who would dig through it? Where is all that shit? Where it's is in, all? It's in London. It's in London. And the, is it like a building that has? There like is all a building. There is. A, there is a. I can't tell you exactly where, but there is a. There are three. Is it because it's secret, or because you just can't remember? No, no, I, I remember. It's because <laughs> okay. it's not open to the public. But it's like three warehouses full of. They have every dude. Fuck the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Right. The Rolling Stones archive. Right. Is there's one hanger. That has just cards. And it's like, I guess we're the guys, like, instead of keeping it, because it's not even related to the Rolling Stones per se. It's where, like, Keith's Bentley from fucking 69 is. He has there's, like, Ferraris shit. in there. Like, for car collectors, dude, there's cars in there that probably have 400 miles or right. something. You know what right. I mean? Like, just, like, there's a whole car team. And then there's, like, a whole thing of all their stage sets right. for all the years. Then there's a wardrobe Damn. room. That has all like the flag shit from the eighty one tour, yeah, yeah, yeah. the Mick War, the cake. they have all that. It's all shit. there. Then you go into a film vault room and it's refrigerated, and then you go into the refrigerated um, masters room, and that's just a sea of quarter inch tape, man. As far as you could see, that's that's good shit, and and it hasn't been digitized. So we were like, you know, and the stuff so old. So what you would have to do is we'd have to request. I'd say, I want. Um, can you hear me knocking? Right. And give me every work up to Can You Hear Me Knocking. And so they would have to take it and do, do something what's called bake it. 
before they could digitize it so the tape doesn't crumble. Ah. And I'd be like, nobody's fucking heard this, man, in like since 1971. Right. You know, it was, it was, so yeah, as a fan, that stuff's amazing. I mean, it's really. Awesome yeah, I love that shit. Yeah. And I mean, and that that you one, had that with Tribe, though, right? Didn't you have everything? Fuck no, we didn't have shit. I mean, we had the basics, and then no, I mean, you know, I wanted the outtakes, and 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 then there was like a bootleg version of some outtakes, but then we couldn't put. I mean, everything with the rights. That's why I'm so curious about when you went into these films, because for me, when I went into Tribe, like, I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. It was literally a Tuesday, and I was like, I want to make a doc about Tribe. I mean, it wasn't as quick as this. And it was as quick as this. I had spoken to them before about it. But then on a Saturday, I was down there filming their concert. Like, I didn't fuck, there was no planning. I didn't know what existed, what didn't exist. And, you know, and, 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 and because that film has sort of a, a dichotomy of real time, and the story that took place in real time and then the past, which I didn't know the story in real time while I was doing it. I had no idea. Right. It has that sort of, you know, you, you get that. And it, that was the beauty of it. But, like, I'm so fascinated. And, and like, to, to go into something, you know, knowing what the playground is, knowing what all your resources are, knowing what all your B-roll is. I mean, we were looking for pictures up until two days before we screened the movie. Yeah, you were going backwards. I go the other way around. I collect everything. That's a and smarter the, way. It is yeah, because, a smarter way. I mean, I, and it's already, you're going to kill yourself anyway, but it's still, that's a smarter way. I, uh, the archivist is on salary and working a year before I step foot in the edit room. That's what the fuck I'm talking about. That's why you're fucking Brett Morgan and I'm over here, you know, <laughs> drinking a fucking... I mean, no, but I'm saying, like, as far as, like, you know, as far as young documentarians, because, you know, people say, what do I need to do to make a doc? What do I... You know, they ask me this and, they, yeah. you know, like, that That to me is, like, an easier way. But you can't always have that. You know, when you, you, you probably have, started your first film, like, you have to build... Like, you've, you've earned the right to have that. That shouldn't... But, but the thing is, man, it's... it's it, you can do searches yourself... Of like there's like footage I think it's called footage.net or something and you can and that's pretty much what my archivist is doing I mean really yeah I mean look here's the here's the here's here's the and you fortunately didn't run into this with tribe but here's the real danger in doing these type of movies um oftentimes we're attracted to subjects especially in entertainment because we like them we're right. fans so you like tribe called right. quest right and you go I want to make a film on tribe called right. quest and that in and of itself doesn't make a movie. No. It's a, by the way, having an interest in the subject obviously is critical, but they may not have a good story. That's true. Just because someone made good art doesn't mean they have a good story. Absolutely. I, I, I mean, and you know, you, and oftentimes, you know, it's the people who the great artists who don't have good stories because they're just good at what they do and they don't get in trouble and they don't muck around and you know. You know, someone like Bob Evans makes for a much more interesting story than Kathleen Kennedy. Right. You know, and even though Kathleen Kennedy is probably has a, a, a stronger producing record. Right. It's just, what's that film? Right. What's the Richard Donner? I mean, I'm sure there's a good film. I just, it's not the kid. I got you. So, so the real danger is you get on board and you go, you know, you get seduced by working with Mick Jagger and you go, yeah, I'm in. And then you get there and you start going through stuff and you go, oh, fuck, that happened to me on Montage of Hack. Uh, where how I, so? I thought Kurt would narrate the film, that it would be all Kurt. There would be no talking heads. It would be Kurt, 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 that, that I would go and acquire every interview Kurt ever did and then use that to tell, fill in the holes. Similar to that really good Tupac movie. Did you ever see the Tupac? Yeah, um, Resurrection. Right. Yeah. 
where you where he's narrating his movie. It's filling in the holes based on pre pre-existing interviews. And it's kind of haunting because yeah, it's he, haunting. He, 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 so, after he, by the way, died. one of the greatest openings in documentary history. If anyone, if you haven't seen the film. The opening of that film, yes. I'm going to ruin it right now. No, don't. Where you're going through, but I have to ruin Go. it, where you're going through Vegas, and all of a sudden you hear his voice come in, and he yeah. goes, I was shot. Yeah, it's fucking trippy. And you go, fuck, dude. Yeah. Like, I just ruined it. But the first time I was in a theater, and I heard his voice, and, and, and you and I can figure out how they got that. Yeah. Because you go, okay, wait, you know the history of Tupac. You know he was shot before Vegas. Yeah. And so you're like, this must be from that interview. Yeah. But the way they did the it, way it they did you the it, you feel like he's talking to you from the dead. That's a good ass movie. It's the Iron Rapport podcast, and we'll be right back. Greats sneakers. Greats is the first men's sneaker brand from Brooklyn, born in Brooklyn. At greats.com, they never sacrifice quality. Use premium materials, style, quality, value is what they offer. Greats.com. Go to www.greats.com for fifteen percent off. Fifteen. Percent off. Punch in the code Rappaport. R A P A P O R T. Greats.com. But wait, what were you saying? Oh, about montage. Oh, no, yeah, but so, so montage. So I got in there and I'm looking at all the material and then I started acquiring all of Kurt's interviews and I didn't think he could handle carry the movie based on his interviews. Mm-hmm. I didn't like his voice, like as a performer in the interviews uh-huh. as it just as like I'm gonna have to listen to this for the movie why was it was it was it was it he, reluctant? it wasn't Kurt dude it wasn't like Kurt it was a different guy than the guy who we have in the rest of the film right you know it's like the voice the the cadence the texture of the voice when he answers the phone in Tracy's apartment yeah or any of that stuff in Tracy's apartment or when he's with Courtney yeah that's not the voice he uses when he's doing an interview with Kurt with Kurt Loder on MTV it's yeah. reluctant kind of or he's, he's, he's either too earnest, too removed, too cynical, yeah, too sarcastic, too deeply aware of his own mythology. How many how many hours of that did we, you I, have? We, uh, countless. And the main and at, towards the end we acquired the Michael Azrad interview, which was a twenty five hours of audio. Which one is that? Okay, okay. That was the basis for the the other documentary that had been done about Kurt called About a Boy. Yes, which is or good. About a son with its all right. Um, right, right. all B roll right. Um, so we heard that whole interview, and I didn't want to use any of it. Right. I, I just didn't. I, I, and so then I was like, what the fuck did I get myself into? Because I don't do talking heads. Right. So you knew I'm not fucking with you. Like, you already knew, like, I'm not doing talking heads. Yes. I called the line producer, and I asked her how much money we had spent at that point because I wanted to pay the studio back. And get the fuck out of there? Get out of there. I wanted to get off the film. You were, like, nervous. Like, I don't have the movie? And Michael, you got to understand, this is six, seven years after I was first started talking about making the movie. Oh, shit. I'm so deep in, but we'd only physically been making the movie. I'd only been spending the studio's money for about four months. So did you find out the number out, how much you spent? Yeah, and it was more than I was willing to give back. So was that partial part of the reason why you were like, okay, I'm going to figure this out? Or you just were, were like put it I, this way: if I really, if if at the end of the day I couldn't come up with a viable solution, right? I would have paid the studio back and I would have done it, uh, you know, because I'm lucky I direct commercials for a living. Right. So I would have just said, okay, I'm not making any money this year. Right. Uh, but I'm, you're, you know, you, your name's, you, you know, you, you can't, all the money in the world doesn't buy you your fucking, your integrity. So, 
And and obviously yeah. there's a party that you 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 weren't you hadn't given up because you were like I ha- you're gonna no, make still this trying movie. to figure it out. But yeah. I was looking at the numbers to see what we were at, and it was like three or four hundred thousand at that. Before point. you'd done shit. Before you'd done shed, and I was like. That was a, I mean, I don't want to tell you what the number in my head that I was willing to I got go you. to, but there was a number that I had that I was like, we're giving it back. I got you. And I, I would have figured something out, but then, you know, then I landed on this thing of, of doing the, the people who were most intimate with him. Right. And even that was, was if one of those people didn't come through, the whole thing collapsed. Right. Meaning if Kurt's mother held out then the, the balance of the film is all fucked up. Right. And, you know, I've gotten a, a little bit of flack about not having Dave Grohl in the film. Like, Dave Grohl was never intended to be in the film because it's just five, it's these five people. Like, there's one, there's a mom, a dad, a sister, a wife, the first girlfriend, and a band member. But what, so, so, the, so the Dave Grohl thing, because I was going to ask you about that. You knew, was it, like, I don't know the dynamic of their relationship. I don't know the dynamic of Courtney Love's relationship with I, him. Nothing, I wasn't talking, there was Courtney... Brought me in and then was gone. Okay. So so there's no, like, I'm not, like, calling Courtney or she's calling me going, don't interview Dave or interview Dave. There's no conversations with her about what the film is. But, but but like, the Dave girl, like, did you interview him? Did so he- what happened with Dave was... Because that's, like, a big thing. Like, even for, like, like I'm a Kurt Cobain fan, but I'm not, like, a... But I'm, like, yo, where's the fucking where's dude from the Foo Fighters? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so Connor O'Neill has something to do with this story. Okay. So my my, my inspiration was Lenny. So I wanted as few people as possible in the film. Right. In fact, in my initial conception of the film, it never even crossed my mind to do Dave. It was always Chris. He Mm. was, and for those who don't know, Chris formed the band with Kurt. Dave came in after Bleach. Right. So three years after Nirvana formed, Dave becomes a drummer and he took them to the promised land. Right. But he was, there were three drummers that played before him. Right. So Chris was the guy there from the beginning to the end. Got Chris you. is from Aberdeen. Dave's from Washington, D.C. It's a story about a kid from Aberdeen. I got you. It should be Chris Novoselic. But have you, so you said so, you. But as I approach management, I didn't want them to think there was anything weird. So when I approach management, I was kind of hoping that they were going to tell me what they did, which is um, they said, well, let, let, we'll come back to you. Call me up the next day. And they go, Chris is available. Um, he's good to go. Dave's busy. So, um, you know, unfortunately, that's not going to work out. He's recording his new album. So that's fine. So it's like an out for you because you... I'm fine. I'm good. We're good. Right. We'll go make the film. So we go and make the film. We cut the, you know, that was in April. I did Chris's interview in April. Of last year. Last year, yeah. 2014. Yeah. And I start screening the film for friends. And I bring in a mutual friend of ours, Connor O'Neill, who cut Fox, Fox Catcher and Crossfire Hurricane. And Connor sees the movie, and he says, um, movie's over, and he goes, you got to interview Dave Grohl. And I said, why? And he goes, because if you don't interview Dave Grohl, you will never do an interview for this film or a Q&A where the first question is about Dave Grohl. Right. And he goes, it's not that the film needs Dave Grohl. Like, you're not missing anything. It's not like I'm telling you you need to get Dave Grohl because I want to hear him talk about X, Y, Z. Right. It just, it's distracting not to see him. Right, because he's associated so much with... Nirvana and right. Kurt Cobain. So we reached back to management at that point. That was in October, and Dave was doing Sonic Highways. And they're like, he's not available. And then, um, and then eventually, he became available, and I had locked picture. And so you that never got shot. So then I filmed him three weeks after I locked picture, three weeks before the Sundance premiere. Just as in a, case, Hail, Ma- just- Hail Mary. 
Hail Mary. Right. Let's see if we can get it. You know, I was not optimistic at that point because I'd spent all this time making this film. It right. was not going to be an easy task to open it up. Right. And I tried, and I couldn't get it in on time. How long that, did you interview him for? A couple hours. But his interview was also different than everybody else's because with Chris, with anyone, I knew I was taking them on this journey. With Dave, I had to know exactly where his bite was going right. because we were the edit the f- film was locked right so he had the the he literally had to hit a bullseye like this big right i got you you know what i mean you know i i, I tell you i watched this movie uh the first night it aired on hbo and 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 i and i it, it was a it was a hard pill to swallow you obviously know a movie about kurt cobain is not gonna end well it's it's and <laughs> ain't it, no fairy tale no and it's it's a dark it's a dark film and 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 you 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 feel his pain and, and somebody in the film, I can't remember, I think it was Chris says, like you kinda in hindsight you knew where this was going. Yeah. Like you the like, clues were there. Right. They were right in front of you the whole time. Right. And 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 when you're watching, you're like, fuck. I mean, the drugs, and even before the drugs, just the inner turmoil that this guy suffered with. And also like the the, the Courtney love, like you see her survivor instinct. Even when she's even when she's fucked up on drugs, she just never seemed as fucked up as him. Like you just seem like she was gonna get past this. And I mean that one animation sequence where he's on the phone, like how are you I'm just impressed like how are you tackling this when you have so much from the playground to play with? Like how are you zeroing in? I mean I'm looking at I'm that, at your that, office and how you, you, you have these paintings. How many paintings did they sixty? 60 canvases and 6,000 drawings. I mean, you're a fucking artist. Like, you're a motherfucker with these movies. But the thing is, so that's that moment you just mentioned where he answers the phone. Right. The the second I heard that, I knew it was going into the film, and I'll tell you why and where and how. Okay. You remember I told you I read all the books before I started the movie? Yes. So Like all the good books, the bad books, the pop books? Whatever, the eight books. Everything. I read them, you know? And so I knew the story of Kurt and Tracy, and... So I had that tape on, and the tapes aren't labeled by years. So I would, you know, look, listen for clues. And I knew that the tape was at Tracy's apartment. Soon as I heard that, I knew it was going in the film because those five words paint a picture that is so vivid. Yeah. And I, I, it painted that picture for me when I heard it when I was in the storage facility. What are the five words? Hello. It may be more. I didn't count the words. Yeah. But he, all he says is, hello? No, she's at work now. Right. Okay, thanks. Right. And suddenly you get this image of Kurt on a fucking Tuesday afternoon at 3 o'clock. And he's being supported by this woman. Right. Financially. Right. And he's sort of going about his business. You right. Know, this is what he does. And it was so simple. And yet it made you feel like you were there. Yeah. Like, why does this even exist? Yeah. The only reason it existed was Kurt would record when he was recording at that moment on his boombox when the phone interrupted. And instead of pressing pause, he just went and answered the phone. Uh, and you many- build around it. You go, this, I mark that down. I go, this is definitely going in the movie uh-huh. because it's a, it's a, you remember when we started this conversation, I said, I like films to play out in the present tense. Yeah. So that's a way for me to convey information without someone having to do it in, you know, when Kurt lived with me, I would support him. And right. that, like, this puts you in the moment right. as opposed to someone telling, telling you. you about what the moment was like. I got you. I got you. This, this thing is like, a, 
it's like a fucking mural. The, the montage of heck, there's just, there's a lot, and, and it's seamless, and, and it goes from, you know, the rise, and, 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 and I mean, just, it just seems overwhelming to have that much stuff. Like, with, with, like, it's like you want all this stuff to put in your movie, and then you're like, do you ever feel like, oh, fuck, what, am, like, overwhelmed by the amount no, of... No, because be- you never, the thing you get overwhelmed with, like, and it felt like montage, we didn't have that much, for, there was barely any footage. There was, like, an absolute dearth of footage. There was no... Kurt was never in a Verite film. He never did mm. Give Me Shelter. He so never... So it was the sit-down interviews? There were, there were... The only footage of Kurt were sit-down interviews, some stuff with him and Francis, and um, the home movies... Well, and I did... The, the home movies when he was a baby that his mom gave me... Um, so that was, yeah, there was no footage, man. It, it, the, um, the, the, what there was was of the uh, however many hours we had in our system called 700 hours, I would say 600 hours were, were nothing but VHS footage of the band playing. Okay. And with that stuff, you know, I started to look at everything. And then at a certain point, I, after three weeks of the same set over and over and right. over again, shot on crappy VHS... That was the first time I've ever bailed. And I told the editor, I go, flag if there's anything that's out of order. You know, because I've seen enough at this right, point. Like, I can cut of, the movie with what I've seen. I got you. So, you know that that existed. Yeah. And so, what about the journal stuff? Like, 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 so, when you, like making that stuff come to life. So what, so, oh, yeah. Like, like, so you, I've seen that. I, there's a book, I believe, that I have of the journal. Kurt journal. Well, that's not what we had. We had the... Uh, they put out a 300-page book called Kurt Cobain's Journals, but we had the journal journal. So I had 4,000 pages, right? So what I did was um, I photographed. I, I brought an animation stand, which is really simple. All it is is, is a, a, a camera, at a, a Canon 5D, you know, hanging directly over um, a, um, a, a table with uh, two lights up, uh-huh. you know, one-to-one lighting, and we'd take one picture per page. That's it. I didn't read them yet. You and know, then once you take the picture... Once I take the pictures, I brought them back to my office where I rebuilt the journals. So I had the actual journals, now, not the published journals. Right. But I had at Kurt's actual journals. I started going through them and um, highlighting themes with Post-its. Uh-huh. And then I would give the pages to the assistant editor. And I said, collate these by theme in the Avid. Uh-huh. And so when I would then come across a point where I needed to access the journals, I would have, and the themes were, sometimes they were very specific, like nevermind. Right. Or sometimes they would, I had one, one box of stuff catalog called the portal and the portal were Kurt's ramblings. Right. Just Kurt going off on the world. So whenever we wanted to go into like Kurt's like crazy thoughts, I would go into the portal uh-huh. and there would be all to of the kill pages. yourself and. No, that would be suicide. There, were, there was a suicide thing. Did that, did that give you the, like, did, when you read, when you had those, like, like watching the film, like, it gave me, like, I was like, it was so intimate and it was so, because of, obviously, you know the outcome. Like, are you, like, feeling, like, almost like, no, you know, you're just treating this like material and it's you got to make the fuck, I understand it. it. As you're When you're it. in the, the throes of it, it's like material. The emotions didn't start until I had to start promoting the film. Your emotions. My emotions. And then it really hit me the night that I, the the two nights before the premiere, three nights before the premiere at the final color grading session, 
we were at the, we got to the end and it was Kurt and unplugged and I lost, I lost. It was the first time, like I had, it was hard to explain. It wasn't because Kurt was dying in the film. It was the last time. It had to do with the fact I was putting the film to bed and that I wasn't going to go to work with Kurt every day Uh and that he was such an inspiring subject to visit every day at work. Uh Uh-huh. And then there was the time away from my kids. Uh-huh. And all the, and all the fights, all the, the, the people I will never talk to again. And all, you know, during the movie, during, during the, movie. the making of the movie. Over the talk course about of years. that as a all, filmmaker. All, all of the emotion. Talk about the hell that is documentary filmmaking. Oh, my God. Well, it just feels like, and I shouldn't say this, Michael, but it feels to me... And I know it's not like this for everyone, but it, I think it has to be. If you, I feel a good like the whole world's out to get you. The whole world's out to get you. <laughs> Everybody's trying to compromise. You, you, you're a piece of shit. What you're make? This is me, and you could tell me if you, if you, if you, if you concur with this. You're a piece of shit. What you're making is a piece of shit. Um, I have no life. Why am I doing this? I would like to, uh, like, uh, like my own private subway underground, so I don't need to see anybody. Um, the person and people that I'm making this about are going to hate me because I fucked this movie up. I, I don't know. Like when I was making my last one, my girlfriend said to me, she goes, why, why are you doing this? And I was like, it's fun. She goes, but you seem miserable. Well, she has a point because you actually don't have to. I mean, you have to do it creatively, but you have another like financially, you probably make more money a week on set and then a year on a movie. Oh, yeah. I've made, you know how much I made? I've made Nothing. two docs. I've made yeah. zero. Yeah, I so, put all my money into the fucking shit, movie. You're losing, you're paying to go to work. Yes. Yeah, no, that doesn't make a lot of sense. But do you have like fear-based? Are you like, I mean, it's probably everything, right? Like when you're making these movies and especially this fucking thing. And the thing about Kurt Cobain is like, if you fuck up the Kurt Cobain you doc. Can, you can't think that though. You can't, you got to be caught. If, if you, by the way, if you're at the point where you got hired to make the film, you're obviously confident enough to not let that shit. I think bo- it would bo- take it into my next down. movie, and it, you're 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 further there. But I mean, like it's like it, you, he means so much to you so can, many people. You, but but it, all it meant to me was France. I mean, honestly, I was making the film for Francis, ah. so that that's what really mattered most. And 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 but the same thing with the stones. You, yes, you don't want to be the guy who fucked up the stones, but at the same time, if you think like that, you're not getting out of bed. That's true. So my thing is a little different than yours. When I'm making the film. I'm very optimistic about what the film can be. That's right. what inspires me every day. Right. So I don't think I'm making a piece of shit. Right. I always feel like I'm making something probably better than it actually is going to be. Okay, I have that. Yeah, you know, like this is going to be the Citizen Kane of documentaries. Right. Um, and that's the thing that motivates you to go that extra hour every night. Yes. My thing is I just feel like, you know, I'll be working with someone and they'll say like, you know, it'll be Friday and they'll be like, so... um. My wife and I, I I'm going to be leaving at six tonight. You know, I got dinner plans with, and I'll just look at them like, are you like, they're crazy. Like, right. what do you mean you got dinner plans? Right. Like we're working. Right. Like, aren't you committed to the project? I understand. And so I always feel like everybody is trying to compromise you. Everyone's trying to look for a shortcut. You know, I direct commercials. Yes. Here's a conversation I don't like having with a producer where you say, listen, I think we're going to need a crane out at the uh, chicken ranch. And they go, oh, man, you know how much work that's going to be? Because we're gonna, I'm going to need to bring an extra eight guys. They're going to have to get there three hours early, and we got to turn around. And I give them this look, like, 
first of all, why are you telling me this? This isn't my, I'm, this isn't my, I don't, I don't want to be insensitive. I don't want this to sound insensitive. No, I got you. But as a filmmaker, I'm the director. You're telling me what your lawn, dirty laundry is. Right. And I don't need to know. I don't, I don't, just give me the fucking crane. Give, give me the fucking crane. Listen, and while you're getting me the crane now, because you're being a fuck, go get me a fucking, <laughs> a, a, an iced latte yeah. and a fucking In-N-Out burger, because I don't fucking need to hear about but you. But the thing is, that the, what I'm trying to get at is, you're trying to get this vision out there, right. and it doesn't matter what it's going to take to get there. Right. And and so when the this, this sound guy, who hopefully is not listening to your podcast at this point, says to me, I have dinner you know, with my wife and we have this thing with, with these friends and I'm like going, dude, we're on the stage in two weeks. What are you talking about? I got you. What planet are you on? Right. I, I take that as a personal assault. I got you. Cause you're in the hut. You're in the we're throes war, of it. Dude. We are we're at fucking war. We're, 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 and it's not just that we're in, we're in the trench. Yeah. And, and there are people, I will tell you this right now who I look over this wall right now and I see some fucking, you know, ice is coming over there are certain people I want in that trench. Right. And there are certain people I don't. And let me tell you, the people I want in the trench aren't necessarily the sharpest shooters. Right. Right. Okay. They're the fucking people. That give blood. They're going to be there at, at, you know, at 20 hours, 18 hours into the day. And you look at them and you say, I'll see you in the morning. Right. I got you. Five hours from now. I, I and got good, you. They're good to go. I got you. Because it, it, it's like there's no glitz and glamour making a doc. There, it, it just doesn't. It's just not. It's just not there. But there's the but there is that the payoff, I want to get it though. right. The, the the payoff is it's it's like baseball, man. It's the perfect game. What every I think artist is looking for. You're looking for this in your in your acting and your fucking um and your directing is that perfect performance. Yes. That perfect moment that you want to be able to watch one of your films and not fucking have a moment. That's off. In fact, in in film you're acting, you want to go see it and go, oh my god, I have no idea it was that good. Right. And, and it's rare to even get that. And you live for that, man. You live for that screening where the audience is totally fucking there. Yeah. The projection's good. The sound's good. And everything's perfect. And for that one moment, it yeah. makes it all it's worthwhile. It's a su- suspended reality. Yeah, it's <laughs> great. It's, and so it's almost, industri- you can't almost describe it because. I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. This is the Iron Rapport Podcast. Baseball is in full swing, and you could be part of the action all season long at DraftKings.com, the official daily fantasy partner of Major League Baseball. Daily fantasy means no season-long commitments, just instant cash and instant gratification. I like to bet. I like to bet responsibly. I don't go nuts, but when I'm feeling good, I'll put some money down, and sometimes I win, sometimes you lose. All right, that's part of gambling. Don't go crazy, like I said. Just pick two pitchers, pick eight position players, and pick up your cash. That's it. New contestants start daily. So hurry to DraftKings.com right now and use promo code RAPAPORT, R-A-P-A-P-O-R-T, to play for free in today's $10,000 fantasy baseball contest. You can win $10,000 today at DraftKings.com in their fantasy. It's every single day there's baseball. You know how many baseball games there are in a season? Enter RAPAPORT, R-A-P-A-P-O-R-T, for free entry now at DraftKings.com. You mentioned uh, Courtney and um, and and so when did when his daughter saw saw the film when did did she see the film and She's right there so you're, you're 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 sitting on her uh, oh on she her watched lap. it right here yeah and and how how did how how was the response like was she, she moved was she, did yeah, she like it yeah like, yeah had I, she seen this footage no she hadn't seen anything you know so I had set up a um, I brought a, a box of a, a, a trash can like that. 
in here and a box of Kleenex. When I came in afterwards, it was full. And um, it was just her, her and her fiance, her husband. And um, and she, you know, she's in to, to paraphrase. She said, you know, th- you know, thank you for giving me a couple hours with my dad that I never thought I was going to have. Oh. And you know, she the, we got into it, and you know, there were things. She told me her favorite part of the film was the ending. Oh shit! The way it cuts the block. Yeah, that was pretty intense. Yeah, you know, at first, at first I wasn't. Like, should I be offended? Right. Her favorite part is right. the, the block. When this later. fucking thing ended. <laughs> the, the, My favorite part of the movie is when I was able to leave. <laughs> when I was able to, when you cut to black leader, right. you know, but, um, I know what she meant, you know? So since then, cause I, I'm, I'm going to, you know, I mean, there's so many different questions and, 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 you know, people like you didn't ask this, you didn't ask that, but you know, we're, we're just hanging out. This isn't a no, podcast. I like this. This. Like, this is great. Man. But, but, and Courtney love what, it, what has been her response and you know, like what was she hard to work with? Was she not hard to work to, with? I didn't was she to, supportive? No, she was the fucking greatest. Man, I didn't Did have to work with her. Did she champion this whole thing? She, Who championed she, this? She Courtney championed. Me as a filmmaker to the extent that she signed a waiver, gave me access to everything, um, didn't ask for licensing fees, didn't ask to see the film, and I had final, I had full authority and final cut of this film, you know, basically from the time we started cutting the film. Mm. And so you, was she supportive you can't be more supportive than that. The greatest gift you can give someone is trust and respect. Right. And she gave me that in spades. Um, was that going to color how I presented her? Absolutely not. Right. Like there was no way. In fact, I was convinced she was going to hate the film. Convinced she was going to hate the film. What? 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 Like what specifically? What? Well, the, reg- the ending. I was sure she was going to go ballistic. That the last thing you hear in the film is that Kurt took 69 Rofenol because he thought Courtney was cheating on him. Right. Um, that, was, that was real the shit. The scene of her with Francis on heroin singing Amazing Grace. Right. Um, the way she looks, she's naked in every shot yeah, of the yeah, film, yeah. and it's not glamorous. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, this is a, a 50-year-old woman, you know, and she didn't have any say, dude. I mean, I did ask Fran- Francis. I was like, is your mom going to be concerned about the nudity? And she was like, because... We were we locked picture. We were on our way to Sundance for Courtney saw the film three days before Sundance. The movie that was, was the first time. She first saw the- time. Movie's done. Okay, so there's no going back. So I had to go to Francis. I was like, look, uh, you know, what should we should we tell your mom about all this news? She, oh, it's my mom. Please, right? You know, it's like she, it's not. You're, it's not nothing, the first time you've seen. Nothing, you know, people, the world has seen her nude. Yeah. Well, that's fucking. I mean, that's a. Uh, let me. All right. Let me just ask you. My my my. This is just a random five documentaries that a lot of people haven't seen that they can see that Brett Morgan rec- recommends. So not, not, not the typical ones, but not ones that you go like, well, you have to go to a French museum. And yeah, yeah, can, I hear you. I hear give you. give yeah, me yeah. five suggestions of movies. Um, uh, uh, Brothers Keeper okay. by Joe Berlinger and Bruce Sanofsky. Yep. Or, um, yeah, I think that's probably Brothers Keeper is accessible. Um, Shit, Michael. You could give me three. Um, I, I really like Man on Wire. That's good. You know um, they're making that into a feature? They are, yeah. The Robert Zemeckis. Um, I like... Uh, um, I really like Man on Wire. I think... Um, um, this is going to sound surprise people, but Wild Man Blues. Oh, I think that's a, a good is movie. It's a great movie. Um, Fast Sheep and Out of Control, the Earl Morris film. Yep. I highly, highly, highly recommend that film. Um, 
And I think that's five Tribe Called Quest. No, oh, you can't. Give me one more. Give me one more. That, like you're like this is an important film to watch. That you know, it's not one that everybody has seen. I think. I think. Um, or not typical. Yeah. No. I, um, 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 there's a film called Mandabala. Oh wait, which I think it was about Brazil. Oh, I saw that film. Won the Grand Jury Prize at Sundance. That's a good um, film. Uh, Project Nim, another film by James That's Marsh. That's a good one. I, that um, one was hard to because I, I, I bawled the, my eyes. The, yeah, out, the monkeys. And, oh, it's fucked. That was tough. Yeah, that's brutal. Um, Barbara Car- Cobble, another Barbara Cobble, Harlan County, USA. Yep, great movie. Um, no, you know, I like I like documentaries that feel directed. That, that's why I like James Marsh's docs, like uh, Man on Wire and Project Them, where you yeah. really feel like you know, it's not just the story. It's not just filmmaking is making the story come yeah. to life. What do you think about, like, they've called this, this time in documentary filmmaking the golden age of documentaries, and, and I think it's great. You know, I think, you know, you're, you're going to get some not well-done ones, yeah. but the access to them and the fact that they're in the, the vernacular because of Netflix and because of, you know, all the different ways to watch them, you know, like, all the, all the downloading. Yeah. You know, um, do you feel like that oversaturates it, or do you celebrate that more no, people are making I mean, them? I think I think what's happening right now is um, is I th- I, we were saying this earlier. I think part of the reason that's so exciting right now is that you have to sort of s- distinguish yourselves from reality television. Yes. So the aesthetic, as far as a doc, yeah, as far as docs, so the aesthetics are are better. I think that um, having access to them obviously is a is a win win. Looking back at the last like thirty or forty years, I think from two thousand two to two thousand seven. People look back at this magical period because that was where all the top-grossing docs in history all came out during that period. Right. Fahrenheit, March of the Penguins, Super right. Size Me. I mean, it was like boom, boom, boom. I mean, it was like that set it off, kind of. It was crazy. I mean, it was crazy, man. Um, Wing Migration. I mean, all these films were doing tremendous, like twenty-five, fifty million dollars at the box office. And the Michael Moore ones, and the, and the and Bowling the, for Col- I mean, two thousand two, Kid Sees in the Picture, and Bowling for Columbine came out, and. Um, the kid was, I think, brought a lot of technical advances, and Bowling Columbine broke down the audiences, yeah. $23 million. You and know? then what's the one with the fucking... Um, Fahrenheit did $150 million. Right. So if you can do a documentary on one entertainment subject, or what would be your, 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 your a dream doc, like on something that's accessible... That you may never do or that like if you as a filmmaker that you would be like, this would be my 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 next one. If I if I had it my way, I would do a doc on who or what. Um I, I really feel the world needs a Led Zeppelin Ooh. doc, like a proper Zeppelin. You have, know. have you put that out in the universe aside from I, I on ha- this podcast I, yeah. that you said only seven people are listening to? No, I think I did a couple years ago and I, I'm gonna try to reignite them and see what happens. But um you know, honestly, I this is going to sound fucking weird, Michael. I, I, sitting here right now, I would probably tell you that there is probably no better subject that for me, maybe for, for you or someone, someone better, but I, I can't think of a better subject than Kurt Cobain. I like, hear you. That was that. It's, and so it, it's, you know, it, it's tough because for the type of films I'm interested in making, he had everything. Mm. He brought everything to the table. Um, you know, his, his, his arc of his life, you know, we were talking about like artists and sometimes they make great music, but that doesn't, Kurt's arc is biblical. Mm. I mean, it, or, it, it, it's, it's, it, it, it plays out that way almost, mm-hmm. you know, like this foundation myth. And, um, 
and his ability to express himself in these mediums that lend themselves so succinctly to cinema. It's just, it was, he was the perfect canvas. So I would say Zeppelin is my dream, is the dream doc that I think needs to be made. What, what kind of channels and doors do you got to get knocked down to do that? Like, I mean, these, you know, the thing is, is like, these guys are getting older. It's like, I agree. That's a great fucking subject. Yeah. And you know, when you talk about sexy and art, I mean, you got a fucking playground to play with, with, with those guys. Like, who do we got to talk to? You know, there's just, <laughs> like, what's the fucking protocol to get a Led Zeppelin documentary? Uh, you, know, you, go, you go through, uh, you go through management. You hope that they like your movies, and then you, you know, okay, you that's know. cool. Let's just say I pretty much for guarantee they they like your movies. So then, what do we do? What the fuck? Well, that's a film that wouldn't be would have no trouble raising. Well, no. What do you mean? What do we do? We get you gotta get Plan and Page on board. Okay, what are they? What, what's the problem? They're they're it's still plan. bickering. They're not getting along. Uh, you know, it's hard to entice a subject that doesn't need it. Yeah, but... It's still- much... You're much better off... List. Wild Man Blues, and I don't know the, the full backstory to this. I do know this. I know that Barbara had um, that, that Woody... Wild Man Blues is a documentary about Woody Allen... His jazz band. His, and, and, yeah. But really, it's about Sunni and Woody. Yeah, it's very intimate for Woody Allen. It, it's, the, it's as intimate as you'll get, and because part of the context of that was Woody had Final Cut, if I'm not mistaken, uh-huh. which was important because he let Barbara film everything. And at the end of the day, Woody's ass had nothing to do with, with the, the... It only had to do with music. Yeah. Like, his only notes to Barbara had to do with his clarinet playing. It wasn't about take that scene or this scene. So she got to shoot everything. And, um, and uh, fuck, what was I talking about? What you no, saying? you were talking about, like, impotence oh. to do it or a reason oh, yeah, to yeah. do it. Or- and so, you know, like, he had a bad, there was a bad rap about Woody and Sunyi in the press. And I think that he, he, I no one ever told me this, but I bet part of what encouraged him or inspired him to do that was that he wanted, to, he had a reason. Humanize to, himself and humanize right. the relationship. And, you know, sometimes the reason is someone's got an, a piece of film to promote. Right. You know, or an, a record to promote. And... And, and so, or they want a boost to their catalog or something. Well, Zeppelin doesn't need a boost to the catalog. They don't need money. No, they don't need money. And, but and they don't need their legacy cemented. If there was a subject that had nothing to do with celebrity groups or any artist, is there like a specific thing that you're zeroing in on next? Like that social, political, crime? Is there anything like in that area? I, I, I think that... Um, well, yeah, there's this thing about urban culture that I may do, but it'll be, it won't be like a, um, essay. It'll be a film. It'll right. play out like a film. I think that, um, I mean, there's issues I'm concerned about. I don't, I don't know if I, I you know, Chicago 10 was a, a, a I don't another know. Fucking, uh, yeah, but another fucking, another failed attempt at, at, at integrating politics. You know, I, I feel that there are other people who can do that stuff better and you know with a movie honestly and and i i'm not trying to be cheeky or anything i I, i'm my goal is to entertain people for two hours i hear you and if i could entertain them that is epic right and anything beyond that's gravy right and because i'm the type of person if i go see a movie and i love movies and you know like we just had memorial day weekend and my wife looked at me really silly on monday when i said "Eh, i want to take the kids to pitch perfect 
I have no interest in Pitch Perfect. I just want to go, and you know what? You know what it is? I'm addicted to popcorn, and for some reason, <laughs> it, it doesn't taste it. And I, I, that's what I finally realized is I actually am just going to eat fucking right. popcorn. Right. You know, I, I'm starting to think that too because when I go there, it's like an excuse to be what a fucking sloth. It's an excuse because it's your programmed your whole life. You go there. It's the candy. They, I, I, I don't drink soda, but I will get the biggest soda. What is that? I don't know. It's like it's like Pavlov's theory. It's like your body just you go into the theater. You want to eat shit and hopefully see something good. And 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 I'll see shit just to eat the shit. Yeah, because you've been here for 2 hours. We've been talking and and you have a, a okay, you had a Starbucks or something. And uh, but it's not like we had to eat snacks over the last 2 hours, but if we spent these 2 hours in the movie theater, if we went to Mountain A day, we would fucking get a tub of popcorn. Tub. And and bonbons used to be the thing, <laughs> Twizzlers or Red Vines depending if you're on the east or west coast. But I don't know. I think it's I think it's literally like because you do it you've done it as a child, you're programmed. Like it's just like you walk in and you I, I remember at one time I was on a I was doing a movie and I was I was juicing. I was doing a juice fast and I went to the movie theater and I was like, I'm not gonna have any popcorn, I'm not gonna and I brought my fucking juices in there and I, I don't remember what I saw. But I mean it was like it took away from I, I could have been watching. The, I could have been watching The Godfather, yeah. but I had to have my green juice yeah. an hour and fifteen minutes into the movie. <laughs> All right, this is the Iron Rapport podcast, and we're done. American Giant sponsors the Iron Rapport podcast. Go to American-Giant.com. Check it out. T-shirts, sweatshirts, American-made, American-manufactured, really good quality, soft, rugged. Hoodies, sweatpants, all of it. AmericanGiant.com. American-Giant.com. The slogan for American Giant that we created is American Giant Clothing. Champion. Can't fuck with this shit, yo. 